first, I'm blessed by the, the way just the reading of the scriptures impacted you, sister. Yeah, thank you. We were also just trying to see how long y'all would stand. <laughs> a little bit of a test, but y'all passed. Y'all did really good. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Let your word open us up. We love you. Now illuminate your word that we may grow and understand you more. And when we know you more, then, Father, we're able to live according to your purpose. And that's, that's our greatest desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Family, we have been in the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah uh, is a, a, a man that gets used by God to do some great things in his hometown. Uh, we are studying this entire book and going through it chapter by chapter. So if you're new, we try to unpack a book at a time, um, and that's the way we kind of pace through. Uh, but for those of you that have been in Nehemiah with us, then you know that this book is uh, showing all aspects of what community flourishing can look like and community rebuilding can look like. And so this man, Nehemiah, was the cup bearer. He was one that uh, protected the king and would sip the king's drink to make sure that there was no poison in it. So the king trusted him dearly. And while caring for the king and being a part of the elite, he sees some of his brothers returning from Jerusalem. And they share the word with him. They say, man, our city is in ruins. Our walls are broken down. It is, it is almost as if we are exposed fully because our city and our walls are in ruins. And Nehemiah's heart breaks. And so he looks at at his king, and his king knows him. He, 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 he's with him daily. The king has, the king's life is in Nehemiah's hands, and he looks at him, and he can just see from the way Nehemiah's looking, something ain't right. What's going on, Nehemiah? What's going on? And then he shares that struggle of, my city is broken. My people are hurting. And so the king then gives Nehemiah a blessing and says, hey, with resources to help you, you go and care for your city. And Nehemiah begins to pray and ask God for a vision. And, and, and two weeks ago, we talked about the beauty of what it looks like when that vision embraces everyone at the table, from the goldsmith to the perfumer, everybody has a role to play in rebuilding the community. And so as we dive in today, we, we, we talked about what it looked like to rebuild a community. And that's going to be the theme throughout Nehemiah. But that was last week. This week, we talk about what it looks like to have haters in your life when you're trying to rebuild a community. And by haters, like we don't all agree with what that definition is. So I looked up an urban dictionary what a hater is. Help me out, James. So that's, that's Urban Dictionary. Now zoom on in on that, that next slide for me, James. So the Urban Dictionary says a hater is a person that simply cannot be happy for another person's success. 
So rather than be happy, they make a point of exposing a flaw in that person. Hating is the result of being a hater, but it's not exactly jealousy. The hater doesn't really want to be the person he or she hates. Rather, the hater wants to knock someone else down a notch. Susan, you know Kevin from accounting is doing very well. He just bought a house in a very nice part of town. If he's doing so well, then why is he driving an 89 Taurus? You see the heart of a hater? Sometimes it is jealousy. I'm going I'm to span a little bit more than what, than what Urban Dictionary lists. Sometimes it is jealousy, but sometimes it's just that a person doesn't want to see you prosper. So we dive into Nehemiah in chapter 4, verse 1, and we start to get the description of some haters. Read with me. Verse 1, now when Sambalot heard that we were building a wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves with their sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive stones out of heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, <laughs> yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, will it break down their stone wall? You see, haters come as progress is moving forward. As rebuilding begins to happen, as momentum begins to build, there is going to be someone that's against it. I've seen this in the secular world where people begin to not like one another because someone is advancing. But the secular world has its own rules. Because we are the people of God and we love God and God loves us, we have a number one hater that uses all types of pawning haters to bring forth havoc, reap opposition, challenge us as believers. So you better believe if you are willing to do God's work, Satan is going to bring some hate your way. But we've seen hate come in three different ways. Here's some of the ways that you can recognize the methods of haters as they try to oppose God's work. Spiritual. It'll flow, some spiritual opposition, emotional opposition, physical opposition. We're going to see how that spiritual, physical, or emotional gets played out as we unpack the rest of this chapter. Keep rolling with me. Verse 4. Now, I got to wait. Do you see in verse 1 the, the temperament of the hater, the temperament of Sanballat? As he sees progress happening on the wall, he gets angry, enraged, to the point where he begins to ridicule and tease the people of God. Ridicule has no weight. It has no substance, but it can cut you. 
it can it, it can it can eat away at, at, at your core. It can make you begin to question yourself. And unfortunately, we see here that the ridicule isn't just coming from one leader. It starts coming from two. Look with me in verse four. Because right away, our brother Nehemiah hears this ridicule but doesn't respond by engaging the ridicule. Look what he says. He says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Take back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. This man, Nehemiah, hears about the, the, the ridicule, the teasing of his haters. And first, he doesn't tease back. First, he doesn't say, look at your wall. You talk about my wall. Look at your wall. <laughs> he first starts by going to God in prayer. Our God, you see what they're saying about us. We, your people, you see what they're saying about us. But I love that the Bible shows the beauty of humanity because he wasn't just like, so God, you see how they hate us. Could you change it a little bit and I hope they have a good day? Hey, God. You know they're throwing a lot of shade our way. Could you maybe care for them, but just show them a little love? He says, look, don't cover their guilt. Let not their sin be blotted, for they provoked your anger. This, this, you get mad when people try to stop your kingdom advancement happen. So, Lord, he's not wishing that their demise happens. He's not wishing that, that they don't become saved. But what he is saying is, you protect all people. Your covering is over all. At the moment that they begin to fight against you, when they're fighting against us, can you remove that covering? Let them feel your power. Let them understand who they're messing with. We your children. In a heartbeat, Lord, your covering can be removed and they can feel it. But I love that even in the midst of feeling this ridicule, the people had a mind to work. Look with me at verse 7. Because now the, the, the hate, the opposition, it gets more intense. It moves just from ridicule of me talking about you me making jokes and teasing you, me making fun of your advancements, now it starts to get a little bit more serious. When Sambalot, in verse 7, but when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and Ashdites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. This is one of those terms that we use today, but it's been happening since, Bible, since, since the Bible, since people were on this earth. And it's called systematic evil. 
It's, it's, it's called systematic evil when people, when powers come together to bring harm on another. They are about to try to cause confusion. They're going to link up. I don't know what we were before, but because they're trying to rebuild, we boys, now let's get them. You see the power of the hate unifying against the people of God? I've seen systematic evils take place in multiple levels. One of the levels that I've seen and experienced in my own life, and I'll share in a second how, but one of the ways I've seen it take place in our community is through the payday loan system. Uh, There's a sister named, no, excuse me, Eric Larson, uh, was the prosecutor for a man named Scott Tucker. There's an article by Bloomberg that's called Payday Loan Mogul Trades Ferrari Racing for Life in Prison. Oh, excuse me, Life for Prison. Uh, there's a guy named Scott Tucker who stole $1.3 billion from poor customers. Scott Tucker said he was a self-made man that was fueling the economy, but a judge says that he was an unrepentant fraud and sentenced him to almost 17 years in prison. This disgraced payday loan mogul, better known as the race car driver, the U.S. race car driver, he had this luxury lifestyle, private jets, Ferraris, was 55. And then a lawyer caught him in his illegal payday scam. It says that he would charge people on these small payday loans 700% for their small loans. They suck you in and say, hey, we'll loan you money, but the moment you are late, the interest skyrockets. This is one of the reasons why this man is now facing 17 years. The judge said, what I see here is a scheme to extract money from the people in desperate circumstances. A systematic evil. Sam Balot, like Scott Tucker, the payday loan magnate, he had a, he had a vested interest in the people staying down and defeated. Sam Balot was a governor near Jerusalem. So he had power. And as the power of his neighbor grows, so does his power decrease. And so he had a vested interest in seeing the poor stay poor. A vested interest in seeing those with the walls broken down and easy access so that they could come and run things. He wanted to see that continue. And so, and, and, I, and I'll say just for clarity, my family has used the payday loan system. When I was growing up, uh, my family at times didn't have it. We didn't have it. It wasn't that we should have, we didn't have it. So in order to make sure that water bill got paid, we had to go to the payday loans. I experienced it as a family. So if you are in this room and you've used payday loans, don't you feel bad. What I want you to know, though, is that it is a system designed to make people really wealthy off of an injustice to you. And I'm thankful that one of the many who do this got caught. 
verse 9 with me. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, with their spears, and with their bows. And I looked and arose, said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Family, we, we see here the emotional aspect of the opposition. Somewhere along the way, they started spreading some rumors. Sambalot and his crew started spreading some rumors saying, man, I see y'all working, but y'all have so much to rebuild. Are y'all sure y'all going to be able to do that? Ooh. I see you picking up that one brick, but there's 700 more. Are you sure you're going to be able to pick up all those bricks? And somehow they started spreading this rumor, and the rumor somehow started to infiltrate within the people of God to the point where the ridicule and the rumors started having the people of God questioning, could they do this? Are we going to be able to do this with this enemy right here at our heels? And that's why Nehemiah has to say to him in verse 14, do not be afraid of them. We got God. Do not be afraid of the haters that bring any type of opposition towards you. Whether it's a system that is designed to see you fail or whether it is someone just trying to soak some lies into your thinking. Don't you be afraid of them. I, uh, I wrestled with a lie pretty much until Christ really grabbed my heart in college. I was uh, a young man who had a beautiful, dark-skinned grandmother. I had a beautiful, dark-skinned mother, a beautiful, dark-skinned stepfather, and yet, and still, I thought that I was ugly because of my skin tone. I would joke about you and be the first to try to like rank or say something that would make everybody laugh and make you feel bad because I didn't want you to get me first. And it really wasn't until I was about 20 that God exposed that pain in my heart, that I, that I have been believing a lie for a long time. Even though if you would have asked me, I would have said no, that lie was rooted deeply. You know what it's like to sometimes have a lie that's just tough to shake. That somebody has said something to you, you're never going to be nothing. You're going to be just like your mama. 
You know what you come from? You know you barely made it out of school. You, you know where you live, right? This community, thriving? I could go on and on. But, but family, remember, those are lies that come from the hater who uses little haters in our lives to pour these lies into us to get us to not see God for who he is. And so the question is, Got to continue to be asking, what lies do I believe? What, what lies do I now as a 40-year-old man still have to purge myself of from things that were invested in me when I was 5, 10, 20? Because the haters still come. They still want to seek, they, they still want to see our demise. And so emotionally, We've got to depend on the Lord. So what are some of the ways that we can, we can fight against some of those emotional attacks, some of the worry that comes, some of the fear that comes, some of the doubt that comes from, from, from attacks that haters have? If you can put your finger in Nehemiah and then flip towards the New Testament, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Kids, I'm going to have an image on the screen for y'all in a little bit to see which one y'all like the most. Y'all know I like to get my kids involved a little bit at some point during their sermon. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 10 through 20. Because I don't want to just keep talking about the, pro, the, the way that the haters come, because we need to be able to have a means and a method to, to, to refute the haters and to live victoriously in Christ, Amen. Look with me starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a, a spiritual war that's happening in addition to the, fight, the battles that we are fighting here. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fasted on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What are those flaming darts? Lies. Systems of injustice. So you might be sitting here now and being like, well, like, I've, I've had a pretty good life. Pastor, I don't remember when I had to experience a system of injustice. Or, Pastor, I don't remember a time when I've experienced a spiritual attack. Well, I'll ask, have you ever seen one happen to someone else? Because 
this entire uh, um, chapter that we're looking at for Nehemiah is not about Nehemiah only focusing on him and his household. Nehemiah is focusing on community. So, so what God does is gives us this armor that sometimes is for you to use to fight on someone else's behalf. So if you see an injustice happening to someone else, we have a responsibility as people of God to step up on their behalf. If you see someone else being affected by lies, we have a responsibility as a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside, do life with them and say, man, this looks like it's about to get messy. But I'm about to walk through this with you. Let's go there. Verse 17, and take the helmet and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that the word may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Fam, there's outside haters. There's people who are creating systems. There are individuals that are trying to seep lies into our belief systems. But some of us, some of us, and I love this, because some of us are our own worst enemy. We are our own hater. We are the ones that when we come up with a great idea, you can never do that. When God is trying to say, I see you as my beautiful child, the one that I want to use to advance this thing, and we say, but if it fails, what will I have? And God is saying, me. Take the risk, not because of the benefit, not because of how much money you'll make, not because of how many houses you'll have, not because of how many people you'll reach. Take the risk because you will have me. And so for my kids, I want to give you guys some images of what it looks like to have on the full armor of God as we battle with things on a physical level, but also as in the spiritual realm, things are happening. And, and by spiritual realm, like you want me to just like make an easy, nice package for defining it, but I'm sorry, I can't. Here's some ways that I know I've experienced it. I'm having a joyous day. I'm kicking it, and then I'm sad. I have no reason to be sad. I am enjoying life to the fullest, and yet I feel something come over me where the only way I can describe it is a, 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 an aspect of depression. I can, I can say that uh, Matthew 4, Jesus is with Satan. And Satan is trying to lure Jesus. He's trying to tempt Jesus. It says... In, in verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, 
and him only you shall serve. And then listen to this last little sentence that comes after it. It says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Why do the angels come and minister to Jesus after he's just been battling back and forth with Satan? I think it's because it's exhausting. I think because in that spiritual battle, whatever's happening up there right now, as I'm trying to focus on preaching God's word and he's Satan's trying to distract me with all the stuff I should have done last week in my house and the food and all. And I'm trying to stay focused. Whatever happens. I think physically we feel the effects of spiritual battles. That's all I got. What's it look like for you? I don't know. But my kids, as we talk about the armor of God, as we talk about this breastplate of righteousness, which of these three images do you like the most? Go through them kind of slowly for me, James. Number one. We got the Christian knight representing kind of like a superhero coming through there. All right, number two, those fiery darts that we're talking about coming through, you know, those lies of the enemy trying to pierce our mindsets. Then number three, bad mama jamma. <laughs> All right, kids, which, let me see by show of hands, which one you like most, one, two, or three? Okay. 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 I kind of like three. She looks kind of like Aaliyah, you know what I'm saying, with the, like, superhero armor God. Continue with me, family. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was... So, so sorry. Kicking it about Aaliyah. I, I, there was a bunch of different aspects of the armor of God. And, I, and because I went through that long list, and actually, I mean, there are sermons preached on each one of those aspects and how it helps us to fight against the enemy. Family, like, consider, do you pursue God so that you may wear his armor? Is, is, is his word in your mind? Some of, some of the, the things that allow you to fight is the sword of the Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? As you love Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and empowers you. The Word, being a sword, like, excuse me, sword of the Spirit, helmet of salvation, protecting our thoughts, submitting our minds unto what God says, not what the world says. Pursue these things. It is, it is this type of armor that allows us to fight against the number one hater's methods of opposition, where he tries to harm us spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Verse 15, back in Nehemiah. Flip that book back. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work, from that day on, half my servants worked on the construction and half held spears, shields, bows, bows, and coats of mail. Skip down with me to verse 21. Now, you know what? You need, you need to hear this. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on 
the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped and his side at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. So the lies, the challenges, the way that Satan seeks to trick you up and either paralyze you with fear, paralyze you with doubt, use a system as an opposition to you. Whatever method that Satan is trying to use, that the ultimate hater is trying to deploy, the worst thing you can do is nothing. The worst thing you can do, the, 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 the way that you can respond and, and I'm sure fail is by doing nothing. See, I love that Nehemiah says, man, okay, I just got word. I got this little group of farmers. I don't, ha- I don't have an army. I don't even have builders. I got a perfumer on the staff helping build the wall. So I got this little crew. I got word that they coming. Guess what, De'Ara? You're going to have to hold a sword. Guess what, Ann? You're going to have to hold a sword. Guess what, Rebecca? You're going to have, okay, I've got to use the crew that I have. And what I'm going to do is have them work with one hand and build and build and build because we got to get this wall back up. But just in case they come, keep your shank on your side. All right? Keep it on your side. And because this is not just about you and your house, because this is about community, if we blow the horn, you come to where you hear the horn because we all will need to rally together in order to fight against this enemy. It hasn't changed in our community, family. There is an an approach that we are taking towards seeing the gospel advanced in this community. And it's one where we are saying, Lord, we submit to you as individuals, but we also submit to you as a collective unit. And 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 I know I'm going to step out a little bit here, but I want to make sure that, that we can call on each other. Alex did a a sermon some time ago that just talked about us not not being wise when we make the call. Don't take advantage of all your brothers and sisters in the body just because they're generous. But man, if somebody calls you for help, do you have any margin in your schedule to help them? Where, Where are you in your pride that you're not willing to ask anyone for help? We are a community. We are brothers and sisters doing life together. 
Let us be willing to sometimes put, put, yeah, I know I was about to do this, but my brother needs some help. So I've got to change my schedule sometime. Let us be willing as a community to do life together so that we can advance God's kingdom together. There's still at times going to be a rally cry. There was a, um, a picture that I want to show you guys. Can you bring up that, uh, that picture of the tank, my brother? A few weeks after D-Day invasion, and this is from a sister named Betsy Howard. She wrote an article about the ghost army. A few weeks after the D-Day invasion in Normandy, the U.S. Army deployed 23 headquarters special troops, better known as the ghost army. The unit comprised of creative types, artists, set designers, actors, and sound technicians charged with creating deceptions to fool the Germans in order to draw fire and attention away from the actual army. The Ghost Army used inflatable tanks and recorded sound effects to simulate whole battalions where there was none. Actors entered European towns, enjoyed a few drinks, and then purposely talked loosely to spread misinformation about the Allies and the plans. Audio engineers created spoof radio carrying out elaborate imitations of actual radio with the hopes that the enemy would listen and buy into their lies. It worked. It worked. The Ghost Army was wildly successful and though it took no lives, it is credited with saving thousands of lives through its deceptions. Family. Satan has a ghost army. Satan is trying to deploy towards you lies that get you all riled up, get us all excited, get us all ready. And before you know it, we're fighting with one another fighting with other churches, dogging our neighbors that are in the rich area or the poor area, saying this about them or that about. Before we know it, our focus and our vision is all off of what God's called us to, which is to allow his spirit to rebuild us, and then we go out and rebuild in his namesake. Don't let the enemy fool us, y'all. Let us be people that have on the armor of God so we are quick to be able to discern Satan's tricks. But you are tricked today. If you are a person that, that came in these walls or a person that's even listening to my voice on the internet and you've chosen to do Christian stuff but not give your life fully to Christ. You see, Satan's greatest ploy, his number one tactic, not building communities as periphery, not injustices as periphery. His number one aim is that you would deny that God loves you and died for you and wants a loving relationship where he cares for and leads you. Satan wants to fool you into thinking that that's all just a myth. Don't be fooled. Accept the greatest offer extended to mankind, 
the offer of salvation, that Christ would die so that our sins could be forgiven and we could walk, love others, be loved by a holy God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we know that there's opposition out there. We know that there's opposition in our heads. We know that Satan is busy. But we also know that you are victorious. Therefore, we are victorious. So whatever schemes he has, they don't succeed. Give us the willingness, as we learn from Nehemiah, to be people who pray, but also people who will act. And we trust it all into your hands, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.